Quiet on the set. Camera speed. Sound production, take one. Action! Hey, what's up, semi-social friends? This is AJ, your co-host, and I just wanted to uh, to do these little extra segments and attach to the end of every episode, um, kind of like post-release. So maybe we'll have the episode release, and then maybe that day or the next day we'll have this companion release because the episodes run a little bit on the longer side, and given all the, the segments that we try to throw in there, uh, sometimes we don't get to do as many of the Easter eggs and the goofs and the little catches that I would like, where I would like to give you the entire list um, rather than you having to go look it up yourself. So what we'll do is, like I said, I'll record these little uh, few extra minute pieces and attach them onto the back end, or you know they will, they will release shortly after the release of the episode. So uh, without further ado, this episode is, of course, the companion episode to 1996 Scream. You should have already just listened to that one, or if you haven't, go catch it on any of the uh, platforms that you're already currently listening on. But we will get started with the secrets and the Easter eggs. Hey, you uh, want to hear a secret? All right, so... At around 12 minutes at the beginning of the movie, when Casey, who is Drew Barrymore's character, when her parents come home to find something is wrong, her father tells her mother to go to the McKenzie's, which is the exact same line that Laurie Strode from Halloween uh, told Lindsay and Tommy to do in the film whenever uh, ever they're under distress, and, and she sends them off. And so that's a cool little catch and reference, which... Oh, there are a lot of Halloween references in this movie. Um, I guess Wes Craven being a, a John Carpenter fan, maybe? Um, at around 52 minutes, when Henry Winkler opens the closet, his black leather Fonzie jacket from Happy Days is hanging inside. So, you know, we did mention Henry Henry Winkler being on, and uh, so the exact jacket was also placed in in, in the background. Um, during production, Ghostface's signature black robe was going to be white to make him appear even more like a ghost. This was changed in the fear of people comparing him to uh, the costume to that of a Ku Klux Klan member. And we did talk about that one in the episode, which is uh, a fantastic last-minute change-up because it would have looked A, goofy, and B, um, terribly unbecoming if they would have went with the entire, you know, the, the white ghost thing. So it's much more intimidating to go with the black. The high school scenes were to be shot at Santa Rosa High School in California. However, very close to the shooting date, the school board read the script and denied the film to be shot there due to the violent nature, as they had been under the impression the film was a comedy. And production, a comedy, <laughs> it's called Scream. Uh, I guess scary movie, but you, you had saw on the nose, you had to know it wasn't going to be. Anyways, uh, the production was moved to Hellsburg, California. As payback, director Wes Craven put at the end credits under the special thanks section to no thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District governing board. So a little bit of a salty pittiness coming from uh, from Wes Craven. So Drew Barrymore and Nev Campbell, Nev Campbell did not meet Roger Jackson, the actor who played the voice uh, before shooting commenced. When we talked about that in the episode, how that's something that Wes Craven did to intensify the um, the paranoia and the fear in all the characters because they had never met the person that did the ghost face voice. It wasn't actually, uh, you know, Skeet Ulrich or, um, or or Matthew Lillard. It was somebody that the cast knew nothing about. So when they would do these scenes and talk on the phone, they would only be 
talking to a voice that they they couldn't put to a face, which made it a little bit more terrifying and uh, gave you some of that raw intensity that you you get in the film. Um, but whenever they were talking on the phone to the killer, they were actually talking to him, blah, blah, blah. In fact, uh, none of the – so everything I just said. So on to the next one. Courtney Cox approached the production to pursue the role. So she sought them out. She was interested in playing a bitch character to offset her nice uh, image that she put off in, in Friends, the series. Um, this image was the main reason why the producer initially refused to consider Cox for the part. Cox uh, continued to lobby the studio as she felt she could believably play the character. Her efforts ultimately succeeded because Gail Weathers is one of the ultimate just uh, bitches of the 90s. Uh, uh, great reporter, but you got to kind of be a bitch to get there. Jamie Kennedy was chosen for the role of Randy because he would often improvise humor into his lines, which made director Wes Craven laugh. The use of caller ID increased more than threefold after the after the release of this film. People were uh, pretty keen on finding out exactly who it was that was calling them. It spiked a little bit of fear, I can imagine. Matthew Lillard was cast as Stu Macher, and you know we we act we 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 shoved it off like we didn't know the name of his character. Uh, and as I'm listening back to it, I'm screaming at myself saying Stu Stu. Um, because we're idiots and we didn't really, you know, write down any of our research. But uh, Matthew Lillard was cast as Stu Macher by chance after accompanying his then-girlfriend to an unrelated audition taking place elsewhere in the same building. Casting director Lisa Beach saw Lillard in the hallway and asked him to audition for the part. He got into the role with incredible ferocity. After the bathroom attack where the scene in the script uh, where there was a scene in the script where Sidney burst into the principal's office and reports the incident crying for help. Although the scene was not included in the final cut, it explains why Henry, uh, Henry Winkler's, the, the principal, ultimately decided to suspend the lessons and dismiss the students. So it would have given a little bit more, um, more foreground into exactly why he made that call, but they decided to cut that out. There was a five-page treatment for Scream 2 at the end of the screenplay written by Kevin Williamson. It was written into a full-blown script after the movie became a hit at the box office. Drew Barrymore shot all of her scenes in the first five days of production, which is amazing that it even took five days because, you know, she's only prevalent in the first, what, 10 minutes opening of the film, which we again talked about her being on the cover was a bit misleading because she was not a main character at all. Uh, the producers had originally intended to use Roger Jackson's voice only as a placeholder, dubbing it over during post-production. They decided that Jackson's contribution was perfect and kept it. Wes Craven described it as an intelligible and evil voice that would become irreplaceable to the franchise which is true that you know you get that dark gritty if you hang this phone up bitch i will gut you like a fish um he goes from like somber just what's your favorite scary movie into this immediately psychotic character um the film was released in december five days before christmas which is crazy again because i would have thought it would have came out probably like at the end of summer or maybe pre-fall uh, the studio did this because during the holiday season, family friends movies were usually released, and the studio wanted to give the horror audience something to see during the time when no horror movies would be out. It opened at number four with $6.4 million, which led the studio to believe the film had flopped. However, the film's good word of mouth is what led it to its success at the box office. With every week it went up or stayed at the same place in the box office, by the end of its run, it ended up making over $100 million in the U.S. box office. 
originally titled Scary Movie, which was later used for a parody of this movie and other pop culture films in the Scary Movie uh, film franchise. The term Scary Movie is mentioned five times. That's insane. I never knew that. I had no clue that uh, Scary Movie was directly pulled from you know because that was the first movie's uh entire tact was basically based off scream but to say that it was going to be just called scary movie um i even even being called scream is like a, a funny little sidestep that didn't seem like it like that clever or well thought out <clears throat> excuse me but uh that's a fun easter egg at around 13 minutes at the beginning of the film billy skeet Ulrich. Uh, and I don't know if it's Ulrich or Ulrich, so just if, you, if you're if you trying to tell me that too, maybe hit us up on the socials and give me the uh, correct pronunciation to that. Um, he climbs through Sydney's window, uh, we remember that, startling her, just like Glenn, uh, Johnny Depp, did to Nancy in A Nightmare on Elm Street. So a little nod to that, which is also, you know, of course, the, the Craven film, but um, the popping in of the bedroom... And startling uh, uh, Sydney is the same as Johnny uh, did to, 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 to Nancy. So being a favorite of screenwriter Kevin Williamson, Molly Ringwald was offered the role of Sydney Prescott, but turned it down, saying she'd rather not be playing in a, a high school student at the age of 27. You know, she, and maybe she acts like that was all her uh, own doing, but I just couldn't see Molly Ringwald. A 16 Candles, uh, Breakfast Club, I couldn't see her as as the... The lead. I, Nev Campbell just pulled it off so well that it's solely her film. When Bob Weinstein watched parts of the first scenes filmed, Rough Cuts, uh, he said that the mask used was idiotic. He asked the, product, or the producers to film one scene with seven different masks and let him choose which one he liked the most. Producers didn't agree and threatened to shut down production. They told him to wait until the first sequence was completed and then he could decide. After watching it, he agreed happily that the mask used and didn't make another complaint for the rest of the film so he ended up liking it anyways which i thought was you know dope very very catching uh terrifying mask uh very original Wes craven initially turned down the film he was already busy developing a remake of the haunting uh which i do like that movie um the liam neeson got uh the, the girl the woman that plays on the conjuring um and probably several other things but uh liam neeson and owen wilson and some other people anyways um he was considering distancing himself from the horror genre completely he signed on to direct after drew barrymore agreed to appear in the film also he was confronted by a young little boy fan who was about 10 the boy accused craven of going soft and then he had more guts back in the day when he was making movies like last house on the left one of his originals uh that pushed him over the edge and he called the people at miramax and agreed to do scream that's funny that the whole reason this movie got made is because a 10 year old bitched out Wes craven and told him that he was going soft and fucking up so that's pretty funny the special effects artist used about 50 gallons of blood for the entire movie and this movie is riddled with blood uh rose mcgowan dyed her hair blonde for the role of tatum in order to contrast her naturally brown hair from that of nev campbell she didn't want to take the spotlight like wearing a white dress on someone else's wedding day you don't do things like that the film was sent to the MPAA over nine times for reconsideration, as they were going to slap the movie with an NC-17 rating. I mean, a girl gets gutted and hung in the first ten minutes of the film. 
I I would see where maybe it would be like NC-17. Um, with each time the MPA the MPA was, made Wes Craven cut out more of the film's gore-heavy shots, Bob Weinstein eventually had to step in, which secured the film's R rating. Wes Craven wanted to know what Bob Weinstein had said to the MPAA to get them to give the film its R rating. He told them the view uh, to view the film as comedy and not as horror. This completely changed the MPAA's viewpoint. What? But how would that? They were like, oh, well, just think of it as comedy. So, uh, so that changes everything. So, kids, if you're looking to get something past the MPAA on an N17, I'm just going to stop because nobody's going down that road. Uh, Wes Craven had seen Nev Campbell in Party of Five from 1994 and asked her to audition for the part. He believed she could portray a character who is innocent, but who could also realistically handle herself while dealing with the physical conflict and emotions required by the role. There are a ton of little uh, bonuses here. On The Directors uh, in 2007, David Arquette revealed that he presumptuously turned down the role of Billy in favor of playing Dewey, which was originally written as a hunky leading man part. I don't, I don't really know if that he pulled that off. I think he was more of like the the goofy cop guy, but uh, he was lovable, and anything David Arquette is in is fantastic. At around one hour and 30 minutes, it's mentioned that near the end of the film that they used corn syrup dyed red for the blood in several famous horror movies. During the film's climax, the production crew really did use corn syrup that was dyed red, so they told you what they were going to be doing. Uh, the filming of this movie is Rose McGowan's favorite filming experience in her career. That doesn't really matter, but now if you ever see her, you can put that on her and be like, hey, you know what, your best work was Scream, and she would say, I agree. Um, Joaquin Phoenix turned down the role of Billy Loomis. And that could have been good. I think he would have pulled it off all right. He's crazy as hell. Uh, when, when Principal Henry Winkler turns and uh, scares himself in the mirror after answering an empty door, he begins to fix his hair like he did when he was the Fonz. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the cheerleader in the washroom scene was played by one of Skeet Ulrich's girlfriends. So that's pretty cool. Freddie Prince Jr. auditioned for the role of Stu. Tori Spelling was considered for the role of Sidney Prescott. At one point in the movie, when discussing who would play her in the movie, Dewey says uh, he sees Sidney as a young Meg Ryan. Sidney replies with, with my luck, it would be Tori Spelling. She was eventually cameoed in Scream 2 as Sidney Prescott in the fictional in-universe uh, film Stab. So the one that's up on the screen when they're watching and everything. Um, and it's Tori Spelling playing uh, Sidney Prescott. That could have been an alternate reality we could have seen. And I'm, I'm glad we didn't, personally. The ghost face mask was first developed for novelty stores during the Halloween season between 91 and 92 by Fun World employee Bridget uh, Sleariton. Sleariton. There's a lot of E's and I's in there. As part of a series titled Fantastic Faces, the mask itself is known as the Peanut-Eyed Ghost. The final design was approved by uh, Fun World Vice President Alan Geller. Wes Craven claimed to have originally found the mask, but later clarified that he had misremembered the event and that it was producer Marion Madalena who discovered it. She found it while uh, inside a house during location scouting for the film and brought it to the attention of Wes Craven, who set about trying to obtain the rights to use it. Fun World licensed director uh, R.J. Tor Torbert 
joined Fun World in 1996 and had given the task of naming the mask prior to its film debut, deciding on Ghostface with the blessing of Fun World owners Stanley and Alan uh, Galler. Torber felt it looked like a ghost in pain, believing it to be a unique design. The Ghostface design and title are owned by Fun World. That's crazy. So it's not even Miramax or uh, is it Miramax or New Line Cinema? It's Miramax, I think. That's crazy that this other mass company, Fun World, they uh, they have the rise to that. In order to keep animal lover Drew Barrymore scared and crying, Wes Craven told her real-life stories of animal cruelty. During the DVD commentary, Craven said, The night before we started shooting, she told me a horrible story about a newspaper article about a dog being burnt by its owner petrified her and she started crying as she was telling me this so every time i needed to get her over the edge and uh into complete tears i would just say drew lightning and lighter and she, all she would do is burst into tears so that's fucking horrific but like we said uh stanley kubrick did the same thing to like shelly duvall in the shining drew barrymore insisted on shooting all of her scenes barefoot because her part in the movie was brief and she didn't like wearing shoes. So she said, I'm not I'm not going to wear shoes then. I'm in my house making popcorn. No, shoes are, are not necessary. Reese Witherspoon turned down the lead role. I'm glad that happened. And Drew Barrymore wears a wig. We know that. Filming took place over only eight weeks. Damn, knowing that most of that spent 21 days in that one shoot for the ending scene. Uh, that's incredible. Wes Craven spent two months after film was completed, filming was completed, editing the final product. Cuts his own shit, huh? All right, a little cameo here. Linda Blair, um, who played Reagan in The Exorcist, at around 39 minutes, the Auburn reporter who says, people want to know. They have the right to know. She starred in another classic horror film, The Exorcist. Oh, God, I just said that. Uh, Wes Craven had cast her in Summer of Fear from 1978, but Linda Blair plays one of the reporters um, at about 39 minutes. So that's a fun little cameo to keep an eye out for. And then Wes Craven himself at around 52 minutes, Fred, the janitor, uh, he's wearing a red and green striped sweater, just like Freddy Krueger in Nightmare, which is funny. Uh, they are also the actual clothes from A Nightmare on Elm Street. So if you look at about 52 minutes and find the janitor, he's wearing Freddy's clothes. That's fantastic. All right. At around one hour and 40 minutes, when Sydney comes out of the closet and stabs Billy with an umbrella, the stuntman was supposed to hit a pad on Skeet's chest. The first hit got the pad, but the second one slipped and hit him in the chest. Ulrich's chest had metal wiring beneath uh, the skin from open-heart surgery he had as a child, which caused him intense pain uh, should it be struck or have pressure applied to it. Thus, when the umbrella accidentally struck his chest, his shocked expression and scream of pain were genuine. Director Wes Craven kept it because of its authenticity. So that's fun, um, a fun little fact you can you slip on to people. At around 1 hour and 35 minutes when the phone slips out of Billy's hand and hits Stu's head, it's completely unintentional. Craven, of course, decided to keep that because Lillard's realistic reaction. At around 1 hour and 22 minutes, the scene where the killer is sneaking up behind Randy is the only one where the person in the costume is actually one of the actors rather than a stuntman. Skeet specifically asked if he could wear the costume for one scene, and that was the scene. At around 1 hour and 35 minutes, Matthew Lillard ad-libbed, My mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. 
Uh, director Wes Craven thought it was funny, so he kept it in the film. Drew Barrymore was originally cast as Sidney Prescott, eventually played by Nev Campbell, but Drew insisted that if she played Casey, then it would make the audience think anything could happen. Because if somebody is, uh, as, as popular and famous as she at the time had died off in the first 10 minutes, then you, it could be anybody. At one point during the filming of the opening scene, somebody forgot to unplug the phone that Casey used to try and call the cops. This resulted in a real, puzzled 911 operator hearing Drew Barrymore screaming for her life on the other end. That's funny. At around 10 minutes, when the killer smashes his head through a window and Casey uh, hits him in the face with a phone, director Wes Craven is actually wearing the costume and was really hit in the face. That's crazy. Uh, at around 1 hour and 40 minutes, Stu's line... I always had a little thing for you, Sid. Or I always had a thing for you, Sid. And Sidney's response, in your dreams, were ad-libbed by Matthew Lillard and Nev Campbell. This is fantastic actors pulling off some of the most memorable lines of our childhood. Uh, you know, think, great, great fucking actors just to pull this out of nowhere. Um, and for, you know, kudos to Wes Craven for being able to see these things and keep these little uh, ticks in here. The death of uh, Principal Henry, Henry Winkler, was added to the film after producer Bob Weinstein noticed that there was about 30 pages in the script where nobody died and told Kevin Williamson that somebody must die. Subsequently, and in addition to the scene, gave Kevin Williamson a good reason to have all the party guests leave the party near the climax. So, somebody had to die. There's just too many pages of no death. And what is a horror movie with but, but, but just a bunch of dialogue, you know? At around one hour and 35 minutes, Matthew Lillard ad-libbed the line, Ah, Houston, we have a problem, when he discovered that the gun was gone. Which, you know, another good one from him. After filming Tatum's death in the garage, Rose McGowan was bruised up from her torso and her inner, inner arm uh, and from hanging in the pet door for several hours. Why would he be several hours? I guess, like, uh, I'd want to make sure that that, that scene gets shot quickly. In Scream 2, the fictional Stab movie, which is a movie about the events of this movie, reenacts the opening scene. During the real scene, the shadow of a crew member is briefly visible for a moment when Drew Barrymore is running. In Stab, they recreate this goof, and the entire silhouette of a person is visible while she is running. So it's just so it's meta, stacked on top of each other, just fourth wall breaking after fourth wall. And uh, that's, that's hilarious. I love that. Okay, so we had talked about how some of these kills never get uh, never get justification of who, be it Stu or Billy, did the killing. And this specifically says, uh, according to Skeet at a convention, it was Billy who kills Tatum in the garage. So uh, we do know, we, we mentioned that in the episode, and this is a direct confirmation from Skeet that it was probably Billy who was in the garage and did that specific uh, kill. At the beginning of the scene where Billy and Sydney have sex, Billy can see uh, Billy can be seen eyeballing the door, making sure it's open for when Stu arrives later. According to director Wes Craven, this was Skeet Ulrich's idea. Two of the most complex visual effects in the film were the corpse of Casey Becker, who's Drew Barrymore, and Steve Orth, um, Kevin Patrick Walls. Their deaths involved the character being gutted from ribcage to pelvis, essentially hollowing out the torso of internal organs with the guts rolling to from the wound to allow uh walls to continue to move and feign death while displaying the wound k and b designed a chair with no back the actor would kneel behind it while the upper body head and arms were positioned within the chair seating area uh in 
anatomical model representing the character's torso and leg were positioned in the chair and disguised so that the character's upper body and the model appeared to be one piece. The fake abdomen was filled with rubber, latex, and gelatin pieces smeared in fake blood. The internal organs, which could all fall freely. Um, the other effect involved Casey being gutted and hung by the neck from a tree. The team utilized a similar approach, but replicated Barry, Barrymore's entire body as it would uh, be impossible to conceal her real body and display the visual effects of her having being gutted while being hung from a tree. They cut the line from the original script, which can be viewed online, which has Sidney pointing a gun at Billy's head, shooting him and saying, that's for having an itty bitty little weenie. Can you imagine if she said that? I understand that maybe they tried to portray this movie as a bit comedy, but if she would have said that, I it would have... It would have been funny, but it would have, it would have really killed the, the, the mood. The killer's final game with Casey in the opening scene asked for her to guess which of the two doors her um, to her house he was hiding behind. Casey seemed to guess wrong since she's killed by the murder. However, in the climax of the film, we learn that there are actually two killers. Thus, whichever door Casey chose, um, one of the killers would have been waiting for her. So it's crazy. I, I always thought of him doing it as like, Either or, but never in tandem or never together, kind of wearing the same uh, outfit in the same costume. That's pretty crazy because that would, of course, indicate how you would get that, like, he's here, then he's there effect. Uh, and to be able to pull it off would require some training between the two or, you know, kind of some some actor skills. Uh, so I would like to see kind of like the behind this. Like, I would like to see a, another movie that portrays that. I don't know. It'd be cool if they could do it in the new screen. And finally, there are several Stephen King references in this movie. The fake blood that Billy is coated in is corn syrup and is referenced in the movie by Billy Loomis after he shoots Randy is a callback to Carrie. Sidney wears a jean jacket like Randall Flagg famously wears in The Stand. When Principal Hembry, uh, when his body is found and Randy tells the group of movie watchers, who decide to presumably go after the killer's vigilante style, one of the students yells, Hi-ho, Silver! Away! Which is a favorite phrase uh, from It by the character Stuttering Bill. The scene where Sidney is running from Ghostface, who is Stu, uh, after he kills after he kills Billy and runs through the house is similar to when Shelley is running from the ghost in the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. So that's pretty cool too i guess that she's like running and looking backwards so that is all for the easter eggs of 1996 scream and there were a few more but these were like budgetary things and who may have applied for or you know auditioned for this role or who turned this down and just little things that um you know i don't really think that ever if you want to find those extra out we, we just get these off imdb it's a great source pretty reliable of uh little facts and tidbits of the movies but there's a lot of extra ones in there like i said that uh Chloe Savini auditioned for the part. Linda Clark turned down the role of Tatum Riley. AJ Langer screen tested for the role of Sidney Prescott. Things of this such. But all the real important ones, the things that are cool little, uh, hey, did you know this? Or you things you can spout off at a conversation or a friend or something or at a party um, and look like the lamest person in the room. Then these are the facts you're going to want to know. All right, guys, so that is the follow-up uh, companion episode to Scream.
So thank you for listening, and let us know in the socials if you enjoy this. Um, I will continue to do it. I really have no problem sitting down and recording this at the end of every uh, at the end of every week, and just kind of throwing it on there. If you guys enjoy this, if not, let us know, and and I won't I won't take up any more of your time. But if you do, let me know, and maybe I'll just try to. Uh, maybe throw in more goofs and everything. So this is kind of just a tester. So go to uh, semi social movie club uh, on Instagram at semi social movie club podcast um, or semi social movie club podcast on Facebook and uh, kind of get interactive with us and let us know. So otherwise we'll see you for the next one. I believe uh, after this, we've got Halloween kills. So there'll be a, a plethora of things I can go over with that movies, all kinds of different fuck ups that I know are, are very prevalent in the film. So I can't wait to discover what those are with you guys. So in the meantime, keep being semi-social and keep watching movies. That was dope. I know, right? This production is brought to you by Vapor Valley Noise Cult.